Hello, and it's that time again for another edition of Radio Elevate. So glad to have you. My name's Cody Fair with Crosspoint Church at Elevate Youth Ministry out of Jonesboro, Tennessee. This week, we're going to continue our Sermon on the Mount discussion as we go on with our series, Red. And we sort of have a continuation of last week's episode, Law and Order, as this week we take a look at Law and Order, the special Christian units. But first, we're going to start off with a little bit of worship. And here's Mercy Me with Word of God Speak. I'm finding myself at a loss for words And the funny thing is, it's okay The last thing I need is to be heard to hear what you would say word of God speak would you pour down like rain washing my eyes to see your majesty to be still and know that you're in this place please let me stay I'm finding myself in the midst of you beyond the music beyond the noise all that I need is to be with you and in the quiet hear your voice word of God speak would you pour down like rain washing my eyes to see your majesty Mountains crumble with 
platform and opportunity that you have to share with your friends and your family the good news of the gospel brought to you by Elevate Student Ministries. Cody and the team have done a fantastic job leading you in this ministry. We're excited about what they're going to be able to do through Radio Elevate. I hope you enjoy it. I know I'm looking forward to it. Join with me as we listen together this new lesson on Radio Elevate. Let's talk today about rules. Now, today's lesson is really going to go hand in hand with last week's lesson, Law and Order, while we discuss the importance of keeping rules. Now, 
I know that rules is not something we like, and most of the time we view rules as something that imparts restrictions on us and imparts restrictions on our life, but how often do you see these rules relaxed? You know, I can remember back in high school that the first day we would walk into that strict teacher's class, they would have the seating chart already arranged for us. A lot of times that chart was made before they even knew who we were and what our personalities were. And as the school year went on, though the importance of that seating chart was there, it became less important and that seating chart become relaxed and more relaxed and more relaxed. Now, the same thing could happen on the bus or maybe in the cafeteria, but the point is originally there was a rule that started, but it became relaxed as the need for it diminished or the importance of the rule was overshadowed by something else, which in this case would be the curriculum or whatever we needed to learn for the year. You know, rules can be relaxed in more of a social capacity as well. As much as I hate to admit it, curfews are not necessarily a bad thing. I can remember my parents telling me when I was in high school and I would complain about a curfew that nothing good happens after midnight. And as I got older and I was out after midnight, I learned that, in fact, nothing good usually goes on after midnight. However, parents can impart that curfew on us. Now, as we get older, the restrictions of that curfew uh, may start to be lifted a little bit. It's common for a curfew to be 9, and then when you get older, maybe 10 and 11 or maybe midnight, to eventually you no longer have a curfew once you hit a certain age. The law of the land even gets looser as time goes on. Sometimes those laws or rules are changed because they're no longer necessary or needed for the current society. They may lose their practicality once new technology or new businesses emerge. However, God's law is completely different. God's law was not meant to be temporary. God's law was meant to be eternal. There's no societal change that weakens God's law. And by the way, if you're sitting under the teaching of a church that is not teaching from God's law, you're sitting under bad and incorrect teaching. The church does not have the right nor the authority to change God's law. At that point, it's a business and not God's house. The thing about rules is this. If we have to follow them, then we expect others to follow rules as well. Now, we assume that people that are administrating the rules to us have a good basis of knowledge as to why rules are being laid out. We assume that they have probably had to follow this exact rule before or at the very least one similar and we may even assume that they have broken this rule before and know the consequences of breaking that rule. At the very least, since typically we will be compliant to rules uh, that an authority figure gives us, we at least have respect for the person and assume they have our best intentions in mind. Maybe that teacher that was giving us that seating chart was simply trying to ensure that we didn't get distracted from the lesson at hand so that we may pass the class and not be held back in school. The most important thing, though, is that 
God's law is different in that it's not meant to be relaxed. It's unlike any other rule that can be uh, thought up because God's law is not man-made. God's law is God-created and is meant for us to live by day after day after day. And today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verses 19 through 20, as we continue in our study on the Sermon on the Mount, as we discuss law and order a little differently than we did last week when we discussed the importance of keeping God's law. So, Matthew chapter 5, verses 19 through 20 says, So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's law and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. See, God's law and God's rules were never meant to be relaxed. Man-made rules, as we discussed a minute ago, tend to be relaxed over time because the need for that rule may become obsolete or at least the rule itself needs modified. God's law and God's rules are different, though, really in two separate ways. First is that the law is not man-made. These laws are God-created. And secondly, the need and purpose for God's laws never change no matter the societal culture. We all have a better way of doing something. Maybe it's human nature, but no matter what the task at hand is, we always believe that we could do something a little better. God's rules and God's laws are different. We cannot teach our own law and call it God's. This really does several different things. First, it discredits God. When we try to modify God's law, we're saying that we know better than God, and that's just not true. God gave us the law so that we have instruction to live by, not so that we can modify them to fit our life. It's a time-age practice by someone who's sort of half in and half out of their relationship with God. They try to make God's law fit them and not make them fit into God's law. In a world where we try to include everyone and we're overly tolerant, that's a hard concept to get around, which brings me to my next point. You cannot add your personal opinion into God's law. If your personal opinion is different than that of what the Bible teaches, then you are in the wrong, plain and simple. We live in a world where we try so hard to not offend and we try to be tolerant and accepting of everybody. The thing is, tolerance and acceptance comes with forgiveness of sin, but it also comes in the form of a transformation of your heart towards God. When your heart is telling you that God's word is not time-tested and it is old-fashioned and no longer applicable, your heart is not telling you to update God's laws and include others that were not once included. Genesis chapter 6 verses 5 says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Your heart is sinful, and your heart will lie to you. 
The phrase, follow, you heart, follow your heart, sounds nice, and it sounds poetic, but it's just wrong. Your heart will guide you towards the wrong thing. The Bible in this verse even refers to our heart as evil. What a strong word to describe our heart. God gave us both free will, will as well as conviction so that sin can be revealed and we know what is wrong and what is right. Lying about what sin is and what sin is not in an attempt to not offend is not how you teach from God's law. By de doing this, you're teaching false information. And you also do not have the power to add to the law. You know, we also have a conceived notion that overdoing anything in our work is looked upon as something positive. And in a worldly sense, that's very true. Supervisors love it when you go above and beyond the normal scope of your job duty. Teachers a lot of times will give you extra credit for going above and beyond. Your parents will be overly grateful if they show up after work and you've unexpectedly done some extra chores around the house. Our relationship with God does not work that way, though. We live in a world where everything is so complicated, mainly because we're trying to keep everyone happy that there's always an exception to every rule. And that's just not the case with God. Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40 says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You know, we studied that verse last week too. God's law is that we love the Lord with all our heart, which in itself shows God's forgiveness of sin, and also to love your neighbor as yourself, which is just as important. Anything else, rituals, being at church every time the doors are open, praying, discussing, and anything else loses its importance if we do not love God and love others. Any extra responsibility you take on or you decide to do yourself has nothing to do with God's law. See, there is no extra credit when it comes to God's law. He's made his love and he's made his grace so obtainable, so perfect, and so clear that it can be extended literally to any and everyone. Anything extra that you do for the church or you do for others or you do for God that's anything beyond the minimal recommendation is simply God working in your heart and wanting to shed light on what God has done in your life. See, God is teaching us how to be great in heaven. Verse 19 tells us, whoever practices and teaches these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. This teaches us that there's an implied relationship between practicing and teaching. And if you think about it, they go hand in hand. It can be simplified by saying it like this, don't just talk the talk, but walk the walk. Now, we're all going to mess up from time to time. You've heard me say that a bunch. However, when God transforms your heart, you have a 
duty to spread God's word. But if you're living a life that is vocally pleasing to God, but not physically pleasing to God, you're sending mixed signals to bystanders. So how do we teach God's law? Well, first is the easy part. You teach God's law through teaching. Any answer that we really need in life can be found in the Bible. And today we have it so easy because we can ask Google what verses are relevant to certain events in our life. And in a matter of milliseconds, we're flooded with Bible verses and testimonies that can help us through any situation. That's one way we can teach ourselves, but we can also use this information and knowledge that we gain to teach others. And second is to practice it. When we proudly live a life that's pleasing to God, others notice. Yes, it's true that some people might criticize, but either way, an impression is made on their life. When we live a life outwardly pleasing to God, others will come to us for biblical counsel. Now, don't let that scare you. When you're asked biblical advice, then simply study the Bible with somebody. It's really that simple. You can teach others by showing them how you learn. And these are practical ways to be great in heaven and a good overview of how true God's law is and that it's not up to interpretation during the times, but how the present holds up to the past when God's word is holding true. Stick around because we're going to take a look at how the past holds up with the present when we get back. Hey Radio Elevate, this is Matt, worship pastor here at Cross Point Church. I hope you're enjoying this lesson. I want to give you an opportunity to give to Radio Elevate, a ministry of Elevate Student Ministries of Cross Point Church. You can text the word GIVE to 423-467-5311. That's 423-467-5311. And you can become a partner with Radio Elevate. Enjoy this lesson. Let's take a look at a couple of classifications discussed in the Bible. First, let's look at what a scribe was. Uh, BibleStudyTools.com defines a scribe as an anciently held uh, various important offices in the public affairs of the nation. The Hebrew word is so rendered is sofer and is first used to designate the holder of some military office. That's a little wordy, so in a little better term, a scribe held a position as a military official similar to a modern-day Secretary of State. They had the job and the task of preparing and issuing commands and demands of the king. Now, this type of political setup is not a check and balance system like our, we enjoy here in our country, but basically what the king said went without really any question. And that type of setup went for his commands, whether they were pleasing to God or whether they were not pleasing to God. So let's also take a look at what a Pharisee is. Again, BibleStudyTools.com says a religious party or school among the Jews at the time of Christ so-called from parishion. 
Uh, the Pharisees saw themselves as a separate group of people. Although they taught the right things, they did not practice the right things. They saw themselves as being above the common people and saw that they kept to the religious law. What that means is that they observed God's law. They acknowledged God's law. They even taught God's law. But they themselves did not practice God's law. You know, this happens pretty frequently today. Again, you cannot just talk the talk and not walk the walk. Your actions, your behaviors, your words, and everything about you needs to be pleasing to God. Messing up is an option, and we keep coming back to this. Grace is here for us when we make mistakes, but scribes and Pharisees both had a respectable position as far as worldly speaking during their times. But they played a dangerous game by not fulfilling God's law in their own personal lives and being more worried about lavish worldly things and the honor that comes with being a child of God rather than spreading the goodness of God. Think about it like this. Anything that we're given that we put in, hard, in high regard in a worldly sense makes us proud. Now, we show that off. Let's think about a new car for a moment. We're incredibly proud of that new car, and even if unintentionally, we put ourselves on a pedestal against others that don't possess as nice of a car. If we looked at God's relationship with us in that same manner, then it'd be easy to put ourselves on a pedestal as a Christian, but that's not love, and that's not what God calls us to do. He calls us to be humble ourselves. Yes, we have that gift. And as politically incorrect as this is to say, some people do not have that gift of God. We are still to humble ourselves amongst them so they can see and learn about God in the way we live our life. We're not better in a worldly sense than they are. The difference, though, is we know where good in this world and good in the next world lies, and that comes with God. Scribes and Pharisees found righteousness in themselves. They didn't find it in God. Matthew chapter 23 verses 1 through 7 says Jesus was criticized by religious leaders. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey what they tell you, but don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra-wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside, and they wear robes with extra-long tassels. And they love to sit at the head table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi. 
Jesus clarifies a lot of information about the Pharisees right here. First, he acknowledges that they are, in fact, the official interpreters of Moses' law. He does not shy away from the fact that the words coming out of their mouth and the teaching that they're giving is true. But he also warns that they don't practice what they preach. Basically, they don't follow their own teaching. God even clarifies that everything they do is for a show. He describes their religious demands as unbearable and how they never lift a finger to help, meaning they simply place themselves on a pedestal and view themselves as superior to others. This goes as far as the clothes they wear. Do you know someone like that? Someone that says the right things but just doesn't practice it themselves? Here's the crazy thing. We're all somewhat guilty of this from time to time. Hey, any time that we have made a judgment, even if we didn't mean to, we have done what the Pharisees has done. The reason for this is that in our hands, righteousness is misguided. Righteousness is not found in a scribe. Righteousness is not found in a Pharisee. Righteousness is not even found in us. Righteousness is found in God and in God alone. We have to remember our place and we have to remember our role. We're followers. We're not creators. It's not up to us to make law. It's not up to us to alter law. And it's not up to us to judge law. It is up to us to follow God's law and to respect God's law and to let God judge the discrepancies in the law. Now, it is our responsibility, however, to spread and share the law. But here's the kicker. We have to make sure that all of that honor, all of that status, and all of that glory that comes with being preservers of the law and followers of the law are directed at God and not directed at us. The teaching that we spread through teaching God's word is not ours. It's God's. We're merely a tool oftentimes referred to as a vessel that God is using for his glory. That glory does not belong to us. And when that glory is directed at ourselves, we're taking credit for God's work. And that's a lie, that is stealing, and that is sinful. I want to sidebar here for just a quick second. If you're listening to this and questioning church, then you need to ask yourself a few questions. One, is your church God-led or is it agenda-led? Is your church glorifying to God or is your church glorifying to its leadership? Is your teacher more of a common man or are they more of someone who enjoy the lavish things of this world? Is your preacher being led by God or is your preacher being led by career? Does your church allow sin instead of forgiving sin? Because there's a very major difference. So just to kind of wrap things up here, do you feel like you are God-driven when you discuss the Bible? Or do you feel more like a Pharisee and a scribe because of your sin? Well, the answer to that depends on if your heart is humble to God or if your heart is humble to the world. 
Are you humble to God? Or are you humble to the world and the lavishes that come with being a believer? Is there someone in your life that God is calling on you to teach to? I'd bet that if you sit down and really think about it, somebody will be laid on your heart that needs to be taught. And you're the right person for the job. If you make sure that your teaching is in line with God's law, you'll do an excellent job because it's being godly driven. Make no mistake, you'll probably stumble some along the way, and that's okay too. Ensure that your instruction is godly driven. You do this by not being judgmental, but by being forgiving. Most importantly, pray for guidance in what you teach and in what you practice. Pray for God in your life, and pray for God in others as well. Hey Radio Elevate, this is Matt, worship pastor here at Cross Point Church. I hope you're enjoying this lesson. I want to give you an opportunity to give to Radio Elevate, a ministry of Elevate Student Ministries of Cross Point Church. You can text the word GIVE to 423-467-5311. That's 423-467-5311. And you can become a partner with Radio Elevate. Enjoy this lesson. If you start reading the Bible from the beginning, you'll get about halfway through the second book, Exodus, and you'll come to a bunch of ancient laws. Thou shalt do this, thou shalt not do that. Now these laws are all written in the literary style we call prose discourse. And they're found all over the second, third, fourth, and fifth books of the Bible. There's over 600 laws. And since reading ancient law code isn't something you and your friends do a lot, odds are you're going to struggle. So let's talk about how to read the law in the Bible. So the first thing to remember is that the Bible is not a behavior manual with a complete list of what to do and not to do to make God happy. Right. The Bible is an epic narrative. But in the story, God does tell people what to do. For sure. The story begins with God's plan to rule the world through humans who will trust him and live by his wisdom. And here we find the first divine command in the Bible. Don't eat from the tree of knowing good and evil because the day you do, you'll die. But the humans take the authority to know and define good and evil for themselves and it's not good. It leads to a world of violence and death and they're exiled from the garden. Okay, so this was the first law in the Bible? Well, it's the first divine command, and it invites people to trust God and live by his wisdom. And so while it's not part of the laws given to Israel, it does foreshadow them because those too are invitations to trust God's wisdom. So when do the laws of Israel come? Okay, here's the story. Israel is enslaved in Egypt, so God saves them and then invites them into a covenant relationship, like a marriage. And the laws make up the terms of that covenant. And so do we get a catalog of all these laws that God gave Israel? Actually, no, we don't get all of the laws, only examples. And these have been strategically placed in between stories about how Israel keeps violating the laws. Ah, so I'm supposed to see that Israel is no different than the humans in the garden. They don't trust God or live by his wisdom. Right. And so it leads to another round of tragedy, violence, and death. And it ends in exile. And so while the laws are good and show God's wisdom, they also expose Israel's inability to be God's faithful partners. I'm following. But when I read the laws, I find a lot of strange stuff. 
Like not allowing clothing to be made of two different fabrics? Like how does that show God's wisdom? Okay, so it's important to realize that many of these laws are ancient ritual Whoa. symbols that set Israel apart, that is, made them holy. So some laws made Israel distinct from neighboring nations, while other laws kept them away from things that in their culture symbolized death, disease, and moral corruption. Okay, but what about all of the ritual killing of animals? Sacrifices were also ritual symbols that connected people to God. Since you, a mortal, can't ascend up to God's presence in the heavenly temple, a blameless animal that was offered could go up in your place, covering for your failures so you can know you're accepted by God. I see. But not all of the laws are ancient rituals. Some of them are just about being a good person and treating others well. Well, yes, but these laws aren't just about being good. They're about justice, which is a big deal to God. On the first page of the Bible, we learn that every human is made in God's image and is worthy of dignity. And these laws apply that ideal in Israel's day. In fact, these laws still underlie many of the concepts of justice and equality that we take for granted today. But some of the laws don't seem just, like laws that allow for slavery. Well, if you look at those laws in their ancient cultural context, you'll see that God's working with Israel as he finds them, pushing them towards justice. So slavery isn't abolished, but it is undermined. For example, Israel was supposed to reenact the Exodus liberation by releasing slaves and forgiving all debts every seven years. This was revolutionary in the ancient world. All right. Now, what about all the laws about Sabbath rest on the seventh day and all the seven-day feasts? I mean, what's up with all of these sevens? Yeah, so these laws about sacred time are all connected to the first creation narrative in Genesis. God brings order out of chaos in six days that each have a clear beginning and end. But when you get to the seventh day, it has no end. That's because it's pointing to the ideal of humans partnering with God in his rule and rest. All of these seven-day feasts are rituals that symbolize humanity's true purpose and future hope. Okay, so all of these laws given to Israel can fit into those basic categories. Yes, and each category expresses a core ideal of God's wisdom. And the laws show how those ideals should be applied in the culture of ancient Israel. But as the story makes clear, Israel failed at fulfilling the law over and over. How is God going to get humans to trust his wisdom? Well, Moses and the prophets after him trusted that one day God would transform the human heart so people can be faithful covenant partners who trust his wisdom. And that brings us to the story of Jesus. Yeah, Jesus said he came to fulfill the law. Right, he was the faithful covenant partner that Israel and all humanity was made to be, but has failed to be. Jesus lived by the divine ideals underlying the laws. And he taught that the laws are all fulfilled when you love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus promised that God's spirit would come and transform his followers so they too could live this way. And so, when followers of Jesus read these laws today, we need to remember they were given to Israel in their ancient cultural setting. You couldn't follow many of them even if you tried. But what you can do is see God's wisdom in the laws. Right, and trust that God's spirit can guide you to follow that wisdom as you learn to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. 
Hey, that's going to do us this week for this edition of Radio Elevate. Thank you so much for joining us this week. It was a pleasure to have you. My name's Cody Fair. I'm with Cross Point Church out of Elevate Youth Ministry in Jonesboro, Tennessee. And hey, have you heard the news? Because July the 12th, that's a Sunday night, we're going to be right back at our home base. We're going to be at Cross Point Church in Jonesboro. Come hungry. We got hamburgers. We got hot dogs. We're going to have a great night and some fun and some fellowship and some games. Can't wait to see all you students during that time. And if you're not a member of Elevate Youth Ministry and you're listening to this podcast, hey, you're welcome to come join us for some fun, some food, and some games. Until then, we'll be right back here next week as we continue our series read and talk about the Sermon on the Mail. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time.